Hello and welcome to a very, very special edition of the Lions Podcast. It is Masters Week. It is the Masters Edition. It's Matt Brown. It is John Housebuyer. It is also Stephen Andrus here. Two of the th- two of the top handy- golf handicappers in the world and Stephen are here for you on this podcast. And we are going to uh, <laughs> go through everything, fi- hopefully find some uh, nice bets to stick into your account. Hopefully we can also give you a little bit of strategy as we head into anything. Boys, I know everybody says this. Certainly golf nuts like us say this is the best week of the year. John, for me, it really, really is. It's just, it feels like this is the real beginning of golf season for me. It feels like this is where everything really gets cranking. And man, it's just something different about even doing the research and stuff for this tournament. Just, I, I get super, super, super excited. And I, I really do love this week more than anything. Yeah. I mean, there's so much nostalgia with this course. There's so many of golf's greatest moments have happened here. And everybody who follows golf can probably think of like a moment in time mm-hmm. that they were watching the Masters with somebody. It just brings back great memories. Um, and, you know, sometimes the players kind of feels like the kickoff. But this year, there were so many people that we're used to seeing missing from mm-hmm. there. And obviously, the big, the big talking point this year is everybody who deserves to be here is here right now. Um, and uh, that's this is the first time it's ever happened uh, with the convergence of all these different leagues. So it's a very compelling Masters for sure. Stephen, as we take a look here, this is a as as uh, John just alluded to. This is where we have some of the live guys jumping back in. We know we've got I think it's eighteen or nineteen of them that are that are in the field, and um, you know it is going to be interesting to navigate because this is something that I'm sure everybody's really as they were trying to handicap this tournament kind of ran into was the fact that we haven't seen a lot of these guys don't have a lot of advanced statistics for these guys haven't played a four round tournament in a long time for a bunch of these guys so it is kind of a leap of faith I think to go ahead and back some of the live players or whatever but we do know there are there are some guys that are super talented that are going to be teeing it up this week and an appropriate beginning to the podcast, you take it a shot at me. I could think of no better way to start a podcast in the first major of the PGA <laughs> Tour versus Live Era. So, you know, I think what people are going to hear coming up is that two of us are really not interested in backing Live guys, but one of us might be tempted if we're getting <laughs> like double the odds of what we typically get on some of these very good golfers from what we've seen in years past. At that point, I might be tempted a little bit. So it'll be a fun little discussion back and forth here. But I think it's I'm going out on a limb here, but I think we would all agree that we really don't know how this is going to play out. If these guys can show up at a major and show some of the form that they've shown in majors in recent years, we don't know the answer to that yet. So I guess we'll find out. John, I was talking offline to to Steven and, you know, I guess one of the guys that we are, one of the guys that will kind of focus on here if we're talking about a lot of live guys i feel we're in the downside of their career anyway i don't really miss them all that much and i don't take them all that seriously in this tournament cam smith certainly does not fit that bill and certainly was a guy that i was looking at to be interested in possibly this week from a betting perspective and then he takes the podium yesterday and basically tells us that uh he yeah he went back home put the clubs in the garage for about three months and didn't touch them and uh doesn't feel really great about the state of his game right now and so if a guy's going to sit on the podium and be very honest with me and say he doesn't feel like he's playing very good golf right now, I'm prone to believe him. And so if that was the only guy I was really interested in and he's telling me he's not good at golf right now, then I, I probably won't have any of those guys in in my account. Yeah, I, I think that is why his, uh, you know, his departure to live was a little less surprising to me when it happened because he just always seemed like this guy who – yeah, I remember he was playing the RBC Heritage and the, he shot the low round of the day and he was like, I can't wait to get out and fish afterwards. Like, I'm, I'm glad that round mm-hmm. is over. So <laughs> he's always been this guy who like some people golf to live, some people live to golf. And it seemed like he was playing golf to earn a living. Um, and now he's set for life. So mm-hmm. I would be a little bit concerned, although there is a little bit of pride to this. Like he went out on this limb and said, I'm going to join live and I'm going to go against the grain. And everybody like us are are talking heads here or like he's done. His career is over. So I think he probably does have a little bit that he wants to prove whether he can prove it uh, is is the is the task at hand now. So if we're talking about the field here, um, live guys are going to be a big part of all of that. And so before we jump to the other guys in the field, I think the other question people are going to be asking, and I think it is a fair one, is 
We haven't seen a ton of these guys. Um, we know that even when they do play, it is a 54-hole tournament. It's not a four-round tournament. You talk about the setup of this golf course that they just played this past week over in California. I have buddies who have played that course and said, I actually shoot well at that course. And so, like, this is not a, I, I wouldn't call it a tune-up, uh, any stretch of the imagination um, for for Augusta or anything like that. And so, Stephen, I mean, how much of all of these external factors did you put into play as you started to look at those specific guys in the field? Because, again, there, I, I do feel like there's at least a little bit of a leap of faith here because we just don't have a ton of stuff that we all really love, which is hard data, hard facts, hard numbers that we like to be able to draw from. I 100% agree with you on that front. This is not a PGA Tour event where we have that hard data on every player in the field that we can rely on for the most part and pick and choose some caveats if we know a guy's injured, et cetera. Um, we don't know anything about what live is, how to weigh it, what these courses are. They have none of their own data that they provide to anybody for any type of statistical modeling that we do for PGA Tour events. Yes, Brooks Kepka has won twice, the first to do that on the Live Tour. We have no idea if that's valuable, but at, at least we know he's playing a hell of a lot better than he was when he left the mm. PGA Tour, when he went about a year playing terribly, despite winning four majors in his career. So um, if we're going to discount Cam Smith for admitting that he's not playing well, despite the fact that he's gone from 20 to 1 to 35 to 1 in the same week here, leading up to, to the first tee times, is is it a discount to take Brooks Kepka at 50 to 1 when he had typically been shorter than 20 to 1 when he was winning his majors in peak form so it, the 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 bottom line here is that no matter what you're guessing and if you're getting bad odds that's probably bad process but if you're getting double the odds on a golfer that we know has done well in the majors in the past and specifically on Augusta National Golf Course where past history matters more at this major than any other. If you're getting a significant discount, maybe you roll the dice on a guy or two. Um, I know you guys probably disagree with that because I've already seen your outright cards, but <laughs> I might be willing to roll the dice a little bit on a couple of these guys just embracing the variance and the unknown of it all. Guys, everything we do, absolutely free at the line. So go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. If you're watching us over on the YouTube, drop something down in the comments section. We'll try and get to anything before uh, before tee off, so long as the question benefits the masses. Uh, so think if there's something out there you want to ask, we'll try to get to that. But we do appreciate your support because, again, everything we do, absolutely free here. So please go ahead and do that. Head over to thelines.com, of course, as well, to get John's written work for all of that. But we will give you a... We'll give you the, the quick and the dirty here, John, of Augusta National. We know we're looking at a little bit longer than we have in the past as they added 35 yards there to 13. So we're looking at a 75-45 par 72. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, exactly. So uh, last year was the first year to clip 7,500. Now they've added a, a, a bit more length with the uh, 13th hole getting extended. So um, it continues to trend towards a course that wants to reward length. Um, there've been some comments from players. I, I listened to a Patrick Cantlay, um, interview with no laying up this week where he talked about as over the last decade, it's kind of taken the importance of shot shaping out of Augusta because it takes the decision out of your hand. You kind of just have to hit driver everywhere. So the fairways have always been generous here. Um, it's going to reward a player who is, uh, able to lean on his driver as a strength of his game. Uh, lean on long iron approaches. Uh, all of the par fours are over 440 yards. Um, so no gimmies there. Your scoring opportunities are on the par fives. Um, but the last two years, extending the the um, the tee boxes back on uh, the two par fives on the back nine have made those not necessarily be, um, you know, the, the scoring opportunity it once was, the, the easy part of the course. Um, so you have to work for every birdie you make on this course. Uh, you need two good shots on a hole to give yourself a birdie opportunity. Um, and now we have the added variable of the weather. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I'm sure we'll talk plenty of that. Uh, it's one of the worst forecasts we've had, uh, unfortunately, in a very long time at the, at the Masters. It is looking like uh, persistent rain um, and some cold weather. So both of those factors make uh, it harder to hit the ball farther, um, which kind of exacerbates the importance of driving distance, I would imagine. 
Uh, we'll see how well the course drains. There's no course in the world better equipped to um, ha- like handle this amount of rain than mm-hmm. Augusta National. Um, so I think it'll be less soft than it probably seems like it will, but there's no amount of technology that can uh, right. that can withstand what, what's coming. So I think this is going to be uh, the type of year where driving distance is more important than usual. So we talked a little bit about the field in the fact that the, the live guys will be involved here. It's going to be 88 players. It is top 50 in ties that move on. So if you're looking at the odds board and you're wondering why some of the guys aren't quite as long as you would think or whatever it might be, listen, it's, it's, an, it's a limited field as it is in the first place. And then also it's worth us pointing out too that there are a handful of guys in this field literally with 0% win equity. And so it's, it's an 88 person field. That's really about 70 people. We have seven amateurs that are going to be teeing it up. We got a bunch of old guys that are going to be teeing it up as well. I mean, listen, the only person to win it older than age 45 is Jack Nicholas. So basically we can go in Jose Maria Lafabo, Mike Weir, Larry Mize, Sandy Lyle, VJ Singh, Bernhard Longer, Fred Couples, Zach Johnson, Phil Mickelson. And yeah, I know you can add even Tiger in there. All fit that bill. If we, if we think that that trend holds, they're all out of there. You add in the amateurs, you add in, you know, we all think that driving distance is going to be incredibly important. I definitely do as well. The only short hitter that's really won in the last 15, 20 years has been Zach Johnson. So you can kind of go in from there and eliminate Billy Horschel and, you know, Russell Henley and Brian Harmon and all of those guys. So again, we're, we're taking an 88 person field in theory, John, but we're really whittling it down to, like I said, 65 ish, 70 ish guys that maybe could actually win. And it's probably fewer than that. Yes, I, I would go as far as to say there's probably 20 guys in in this field that I would give a viable chance. And if I'm talking to a friend who doesn't usually bet golf, uh, I usually say, like, scroll to the top 20. Don't scroll any further because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's pretty much, um, you know, who has a chance of the combination of recent form, the fit and the the past results at, at Augusta is more important than any other uh, tournament on the PGA Tour schedule. So uh, for me personally, I look for at least one example of a year where you were in contention or finished top 10 as a precursor to who to how I uh, whittle down the betting board. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's going to come out the woodwork and win without having any like top 30s before in their history, so be it. I'll take my elder. Steven, another one of the things that we've seen here, and, and, and John just kind of alluded to it as well, is just the the experience factor. Eight of the last 10 have played at least two previous Masters before winning. Uh, Spieth and Willett both won on their second trip to Augusta, but everybody else, of course, we haven't had a, had a debutante win since 1979 and Fuzzy Zeller. So that, of course, the amateurs get get lumped in with that. And if you want to talk about the, you know, air quote, inexperienced guys that you might want to look to not spend a ton of time on handicapping, Sepp Straka, K.H. Lee, Adam Svensson, Kurt Kitayama, Harold Varner, Taylor Moore, J.T. Poston, Ryan Fox, Minwoo Lee, Taylor Gooch, Sahith Thagala, uh, Seamus Power, Tom Kim, Keith Mitchell, Cam Young. They all fit that bill. And listen, there's a lot of names that you and I have bet, and, and, and John as well, over the course of the PGA Tour season this year that do fit into that group. But again, if we if we do value experience as much as as we should, right? I mean, it's the stickiest course that there is on the PGA Tour. It has the absolute most direct line to success th- than any other course on the PGA Tour. And so I know there's some some sexy names in there that I just mentioned. But again, if we're if we're following that trend, maybe guys you want to to look to avoid. Yeah, for sure. I mean, John does a good job on his on his master's odds page of, of listing the pre-tourney odds of the past champions since 2010. And there's been one since 2010 with odds longer than 50 to one. And that was Charles Schwartzel in 2011 when he was 100 to one. Every single other winner of the masters was 50 to one or shorter before the tournament started. Um, so you can go down the board a little bit, but it's it's pretty rare to find somebody longer uh, than that. So that's kind of something you keep in the back of your mind. Um, you know, if you want to dabble a little bit on some guys just at the end of your car, that's have fun because it's a major. That's fine. But mm-hmm. to me, they better be able to smack the hell out of the ball off the tee. They better be one of the elite drivers of the golf ball to have any chance, because I do agree with that handicap from John, especially with the conditions that we're going to get here and a little less rollout in the fairway if it's going to be wet. It'll play even longer for the shorter hitters. So, um, yeah, driving distance is big for me here. Um, Strokes gain on par five. We know Augusta plays so hard with the long par fours. 
so you got to try and, and get your birdie opportunities on those par fives, although two of them have gotten a little bit harder now because they've lengthened them even more. You know, Rory McIlroy was just saying that in years past, he would go driver eight iron on one of these par fives. And now with the lengthening of it, he's going driver five iron. And the lie has gone from a flat lie with an eight iron to ball way above his feet with a five iron. So they're going to make the bombers take a risk and bring all kinds of nasty elements into play if they get a little squirrely on those second shots in the par five. So I think an all around game is what we need here. So, um, you know, there's some events during the PGA Tour schedule, Matt, where I may weigh strokes gain approach very heavily or weigh one stat very heavily. I'm going pretty even across the board here and, and kind of taking a holistic approach here. Who's been playing well on the PGA Tour uh, so far this season? And then as a bonus, if they've played well in the past at Augusta National, even better. Yeah, John, one of the interesting things is I was listening to PGA Tour radio today and you know, we might see some guys carrying some clubs they don't normally carry this week due to everything. So we might f- see a few more seven woods in bags, maybe a few more guys that don't necessarily carry a five wood for every round that they play. Like we're pr- probably going to see a ton of five woods in, in everybody's bags because these these par fives, you really do have to attack, but it's not going to be as easy to get them in two, we assume, with the conditions that are going to be out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, as we said, it's one of the longer courses and it, and it just got longer. So mm-hmm. definitely, uh, I, I mean, I guess it's a trade-off because there's so many tricky uh, touch shots around the green. And I'm sure some players are hesitant to give up one of their wedges around there because there's so many different types of shots you need to play there too. Um, so that, I mean, that's a strategy within the strategy. Um, but maybe that just goes back to uh, the importance of course history here and guys mm-hmm. who've seen this course a few times know, all right, I need that five wood in my bag. And I, I may not have known that until I actually saw it play out. We talk about the odds board. So let's go ahead and hit it up. The usual suspects at the top, Scotty Scheffler, Roy McElroy, and John Rahm, your three short shots all at under 10 to one. You can find a nine and a half actually out there on John Rahm. A seven is about the best you're going to seven and a half. You can find a Rory and then a seven, on Sheffield, the best odds that are out there. This is this is a great time to bring up that there are a bunch of different odds boost things. Steven, I know that you take advantage of a ton of the odds boosts that are out there. If you are given an odds boost on a player and you are able to choose which player that is, I know that there's one floating out there. I think it's at DraftKings where they'll add 10 to 1 to a player or whatever it might be this week. Add three Guys, to, they'll add 3 to 1. Or whatever, like add that to a short shot. Do not add that to a long shot. It is far more valuable on one of the shorter shots than it is on the long shot. Like I've seen people say, oh, I can bring this guy from 55 to 65. And it's like, no, you want to be bringing Scotty Scheffler from seven to 15 or whatever, or seven to 17. Like right. that is where the real value is in those bonus bets and things like that. So again, I know that there's going to be, you are going to be inundated with promos over the next 48 hours. You are, it's going to be, it's going to make your head spin, but at least some strategy we can give from, from that aspect would be increase your win. Like those guys, win equity is exponentially higher than any of these other guys, middle of the field. So I know it sounds sexy to be like, Oh no, I get 65. To one. Like, no, no, no. You want it on one of these short guys because their win equity is so high that you are getting a really good value to get those guys at a bigger odds. Yeah, it's a great point, Matt. I mean, going from 100 to 1 to 103 to 1 doesn't mean nearly <laughs> as much in terms of implied probability as going from, you know, 7 to 1 to 10 to 1 on one of these favorites. It's a great point and absolutely what you should be looking for at the top of the board with these. I, I think that the same thing applies on the other type of, of bonus that's out there where um, it depends on what book you're at, but all of these books are, are throwing out. If your guy doesn't win, but he finishes top 10 or finishes top 20, you get the amount back in bonus bets. One of the books has mm-hmm. even given out 200% of it back if he finishes in the top five or top 10 or whatever. The guys at the top of the odds board are the most likely to finish in the top 10 or the mm-hmm. top 20 at the Masters, especially yeah. ones who have been playing well this year and have history at Augusta National. So don't overthink it on those. And if they don't win, you're more likely to get the bonus bets to use in another golf tournament next time around. Jordan Spieth is next on the odds board there. The best you're going to get from him is 18 to 1. Cantley 20 to 1. Justin Thomas 22 to 1 across the market right now. The best number you're going to find. Tony Finau 25. Xander 25. Dustin Johnson is coming in as your first live guy to show up 
28 to 1 out there if you did want DJ. Justin Day, I mean, Jason Day sitting at 28 to 1, which, by the way, this is, I love the way Jason Day is playing. Do not, do not get me wrong, but boy, the odds have plummeted. He is on everybody's radar this week, and we have seen those start to plummet. And, John, you look at Jason Day, and I think if anybody's out there modeling and has anything even close to what I kind of put together this week, you did see Day, and he was in there, and he was in you know the mix for a lot of the different stuff. It's just I don't know if I feel comfortable at twenty eight to one on Day, and that's again that's the best number that you can find right this second out there on, on Jason Day. There is still the injury risk thing that's going on. We heard about this past week where you know he 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 something was going on, and he had to like you know basically forfeit a three shot stroke lead over there at the match play. Because of what was going on, I, I know he said allergies. I've heard otherwise. So there, there's stuff going on with him. I love the game. I love the boxes that he ticks. How do you feel about 28 to 1? Yeah, well, you know, sometimes when there's smoke, there's fire. And sometimes mm. the uh, the odds get uncomfortably short for a reason. Uh, and it's trending towards something. Um, I didn't get there on Jason Day. Um, it's interesting to be in Masters Week and see Jason Day and Colin Morikawa priced at the exact same <laughs> right. at the exact same number. Would have never expected that. Uh, you can throw Dustin Johnson in there too. Those three guys being the same price. If you asked me that, mm-hmm. if that would be the case a year ago, I would uh, have dismissed you and stopped talking to you. So uh, <laughs> things have changed a lot. Um, you do want to be trending going into the Masters, and obviously Day has had his fair share of success here. He is a veteran. He has the polished uh, tee to green and putting form um, that you want to see at the Masters. The number is uncomfortable, but I think it. I would have to say that it is justified. If it was 35 plus, I think that would be getting hammered, and I think that's why it's it's where it is now. Cam Smith has drifted to thirty-five to one at DraftKings, as uh, as Stephen did mention. Max Homa up to thirty-four to one out there in the market. If you did want to take him, Cam Young thirty-five, Victor Hovland forty. You can find Kepka at forty-four. Now that has plummeted since his win. Brooks Kepka as early as late as a week ago, you could find it like ninety to one. So forty-four to one right now, the best you're going to find out there industry wide. Uh, Sung Jay sitting at forty-five, Zalatoris at forty-five, Sam Burns at forty-five. Hideki Matsuyama at 46, of course, a former winner here who maybe tr- tr- I know the neck thing is still out there, but maybe trending in the right direction. 46, 55 on Fitzpatrick and everybody else is 60 to one or longer. We'll talk about if any of those guys made our cards or not. Now, before we get into our betting cards, guys, listen, let's take some time here because people are going to know, but want to know what we're going to do with Tiger Woods. Right. And that is the big question. I've been asked it a hundred times. John, you've been asked it a hundred times. What is the deal with Tiger? What are you going to play with Tiger? Mine is very, very simple. And then I'll kick it to you guys. Mine is, is very simple. Can Tiger make the cut? I think absolutely Tiger can make the cut. Would I bet an outright on Tiger? Absolutely not. And actually the strategy for me will probably be Tiger won't be on my card until round three. And if he does make the cut, I'm probably going to find a head-to-head and bet against him. And, and I, I hate to say that. It's like, uh, but if we're talking strictly from a monetary standpoint and how I plan to try and make money from this Masters tournament, we already talked about this. The conditions are going to be bad and then they're going to get worse and it's going to get cold, which we know for backs and hips and all the things like that, not good. It's going to get really wet and walking on really wet ground and all of that is going to be a little bit more laborious for a guy like Tiger Woods and all of that. And so... I think as the week progresses, things just look worse and worse for Tiger. So if you want to bet him to make the cut, by all means, I would say good on you. I'm not going to do it, but I actually will be looking, unfortunately, to, to bet against the big cat should he make it to the weekend. John, how are you handling Tiger? Yeah, that's actually um, that that latter point is something that I should have brought up in, in the day evaluation because um, a cold weather and a bad back, uh, or sorry, cold weather and rain is not good for someone with a bad back. So mm-hmm. that is actually another reason why I ended up fading day. And we, we actually saw, um, as far as like comp torrential conditions, the Wells Fargo was the most recent example I would point to of a tournament that was played in heavy rain, uh, and, and day kind of slipped away as the rain came in. So, um, similar, uh, reasoning, I think, uh, to everything that you just said on Tiger Woods, it's a shame that the weather's not better because in ideal conditions, I would have probably placed a top 30 bet mm-hmm. on Tiger in this just based off what we saw at the Genesis. The ball striking was great. He gained in both uh, off the tee and approach in one of the best fields in all of golf. So that was really impressive. It was actually the the putter that let him down, which is the one thing that he should 
uh, be able to lean on. And we should expect that from him at, at Augusta, if nothing else. Um, it's fairly easy to make the cut here. It's top 50 in ties. And as we said, there's like 65 able-bodied participants in, the, in this field. Right. Uh, technically, Tiger's not one of them. But, um, you know, he's he's... I don't think he has the greatest expectations for himself in this event. He did just play the Genesis. So it's not like this is his first event of the year, like it was uh, in 22. So I will be um, rooting him on without yes. any staked interest uh, from my bank account. Same, same, same with me rooting him on a ton. So Steven 80 to one, the best number that you're going to find on tiger woods out there from an outright perspective across the industry. How are you handling tiger this week? I'm watching and enjoying every second we have left of him playing in these majors, and I'm not putting any money on it. Um, you can get a plus 110 if you really want to bet on him to miss the cut, but I actually think he got the better of the draw here. He um, He's going early on Thursday and late on Friday, so if they're, the, as the forecast stands now, the rain's going to probably start coming Friday morning. Um, if it gets heavy and play gets suspended, that could help the late tee times on Friday, get better conditions when round two resumes. So I mean, e even from that perspective, not just mm -hmm. Tiger Woods, but anybody on that side of the draw, I think you want to maybe give a little bit of an advantage to the early late guys. Um, so no interest in backing Tiger whatsoever. Just, um, you know, enjoy the memories from that crazy, amazing 2009, <laughs> right. 2019 green jacket. We are we are like minded here uh, as far as we as far as Tiger goes this week. We're all going to be rooting like hell, but uh, I don't want to have any stake tied to that rooting interest. I'll just sit back and and be happy. If I don't if I don't if he wins and I miss out on eighty to one, so be it. I'll be happy. It'll be great. I'm not all that worried about it. Now you can go over to lines.com. You can see the full breakdown as to how John was going about his model and whatnot. But guys, let's do at least give a quick kind of overview of if people are going to be making their models whenever they, after they finish watching this or listening to this on, in podcast form, anything that really stood out, anything we went super heavy on, anything that we added to a model that we normally don't necessarily have and anything maybe that we removed from a model that we don't normally necessarily have john we'll kick things off with you again people can go and, and look at the stats that you find important in the written stuff over at the lines but we can help them out just a little bit here yeah i would say the biggest change i made this year from most years at the at the masters is understanding how many players are coming from live that we're not going to get any recent strokes gained data on mm -hmm. i leaned a lot more on uh, strokes gained at majors over the last five years strokes gained at the masters over the last uh, eight to 10 years, uh, and then strokes gained in difficult scoring conditions over the last couple of years. Um, so that kind of pulls out like it, it's not an immediate form sort of stat, but I do have like strokes gained T to green in there just to capture who is coming into this event with, with great form because mm -hmm. we've seen that year over year. That's just sort of a given, uh, and you need to be well-rounded T to green. So obviously the recent form stats will be in there, but uh, yeah, I want to see guys who who come and kind of pop in majors or at this event in particular. Um, and then looking more technically, it's it's the long par four scoring scoring. So par four is over 450 uh, par five scoring in general proximity from 200 plus and then a heavy emphasis on strokes gained around the green. Uh, and then particularly I did put in my model uh, strokes gained short game on firm and fast greens, which has always mm -hmm. been important at Augusta, although I may dial that back depending on what the state of these greens looks like at the end of the week, if it gets a little bit more flooded uh, and a little softer greens, then I might, you know, deprioritize that weighting, but still put a, a strong emphasis on around the green. Steven, anything in your model that, that you went a little bit heavier on, anything that you went lighter on, added, removed, anything like that? From a typical PGA Tour week, I don't care about putting as much this week because it's it's brutally tough to putt at Augusta in general. Um, you know, Scotty Scheffler won here last year. Not a particularly great putter. He's just amazing tee to green, and he's only gotten better uh, tee to green. So uh, for, for what I put together, 50% of it right off the bat is split up in some form or fashion between stats that matter from tee to green. 10% strokes gained T to green, 
20% driving distance and 20% strokes gain on approach. And I looked at it in general over the past 50 and 36 and 24 rounds, but I also wanted to filter it for courses over 7,400 yards because I really don't care about what you're doing on short courses like the Sony Open or the match play when you go to Augusta National and you're playing the longest masters in the history of this prestigious tournament. So um, that's mm-hmm. obviously going to benefit the bombers in this field. And then from there, that kind of shortening of the list to the bombers, which one of these guys uh, has a well-rounded game from there. So that's that's kind of the difference from a normal week for me. Yeah, for me, I did a lot heavier on driving distance than I thought I was going to heading into starting modeling. But then with the way that this outlook is, I mean, listen, we know the importance of length anyway. It's become much more, as John mentioned, much more of a bomber's course. They mow the grass where you get less run out. They do all the different things to kind of help that. But it's again, if it's going to be cold, if it's going to be raining, we're going to need guys that have just a lot of carry and guys that are longer. If we want these guys to really attack what we think is important as well, which is these par fives, as we know, all four of the par fives, at least last year, we don't know how this one's going to play this year with the lengthening of 35%, but all four have at least a 33% birdie or better rate. And that is where the scoring is done, right? So guys that didn't score well on par fives, they immediately got eliminated for me. All the shorties got eliminated for me. So even though there are some guys that I, you know, I mean, listen, Colin Morikawa got eliminated for me, right? I mean, like this is a guy that I think is a superbly talented guy, but he falls outside the top 50 in this field of 88 in in driving distance, you know? And so for me, I I hate it, but it's just one of those things where sometimes I have to kind of believe the, the numbers and the narrative that I have around things. So I do have that. And then also, I heavily, heavily went on strokes gained around the green. As we know, last year, 20.8% of strokes gained at Augusta were around the green, which is which is like 6.5% over tour average. So it just lets you know how hard it is to hold these greens and how important it is to have that delicate touch and all that around the greens on these tight lies and things, which a lot of people do struggle on. And if you start to look at some of those guys that we know that are notoriously bad at doing that, so you kind of have to start eliminating some of these other guys, you know, your Bryson DeChambeau's, your Victor Hovland's, your Gary Woodland's things, you know, guys like that, that are really, really bad, you know, around the green. And honestly, if you shorten that up to the last 36 rounds, and I know we have at least a little bit of limited data on all this, there is, I do run models on multiple sites now. Uh, the stuff over at Rick Rungood actually does pull rest of world stats and everything. So I'm able to kind of look at some of those other things that are going on. I mean, if you, if you put that in 36 rounds, Cam Smith falls outside the top 50. Dustin Johnson falls outside the top 50. They would actually get eliminated from contention for me anyway. Keegan Bradley, then at that point, Tyrrell Hatton, all of these guys fall outside of the top 50 in an 88-player field when it comes to strokes gained around the green over the last 36 rounds. So um, just stuff that that I did weigh a little bit heavier. And, and what it did was take some really big names out of contention for me, which was a little weird and a little uncomfortable. But... I just kind of have to go with what I do believe is important. And so that's kind of how I went about all the modeling and stuff this week. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem. Call one 800 5 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. You're listening to the Lines.com Podcast Network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sportsbooks all in one place? 
then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Stephen Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Steven, uh, let's kick it off with you here. Let's uh, let's get to your betting card, my man. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm taking a bit of a different approach this week because okay. every way I tried to slice it, it was hard to get past the top three of McElroy, Scheffler, and Rom, in whatever order you want to put them mm-hmm. in. I think... Scotty Scheffler, if you look um, over the past 50 and 36 rounds, he's the only player in the field who is top five in both strokes gained off the tee and strokes gained on approach. He has been phenomenal. Um, he, he's, he's won already leading up to this again. He's been in contention over and over again. I, I would not be shocked at all if he repeats, but at the pre-tournament number, it's kind of unbettable for me to, if I'm building, you know, on a typical week, I'd take John's approach and I'll, I'll go with three units to win 24 in a major week. I get a little spicy. I'll, I might go up to four yeah. units to win 30 units. So I'm at a point right now where I've committed less than two units into this, into this outright field outright pool. So I am tempted to try and see if I can get a bit of a slow start from one of these top three guys. And if I can get a 14 to one, live, then they're going to be able to fit onto my card. If I commit the other two units pre-tournament, then I've I've whittled it down to two of the following three players, Max Mm -hmm. Homa, Xander Shoffley, and Cam Smith. Now that he has slipped from 20 to one down to 36 to one or 35 to one at one of the shops. So um, I just think, you know, I agree with you with Cam Smith's form. But we've also seen guys who in the past have been able to turn it on in a big tournament. And he has the course history here at Augusta. He hasn't won, but over the past three years, T3, T10, T2, back to 2018, he had a T5 as well. We know he won the Open Championship. We know he won the players as well in similar wonky weather-affected conditions. And he also got the benefit of the draw of having the latest tee time on Friday. So if play is suspended, he might get some really scorable conditions whenever they do resume. So he got all of those benefits to possibly overcome the form concerns that we have. And 35 to 1 might be the right price. So um, I hate that I'm not giving you guys a, a straight answer here. I'll get into some long shots that I have actually bet. But that's why we have the Discord here. So, you know, go to the lines.com, top right corner, hit the Discord button, and you can see our betting cards. Uh, I have not made a decision at the top of the board, but that's kind of where my head is at right now going into this. Uh, Homa, Matt, I'm going to let you talk about him a little bit more because I know you're interested in him. But, man, other than his past results at Augusta, flawless resume coming into this. And Xander Shoffley, a guy who only moves up my rankings towards that elite tier when you turn on lengthy courses of more than 7,400 yards. So um, those I thought were the best values on the board once you get past those top three elite players. John, how does your betting card shape it up here? Again, guys, just so for reference, right, this is being recorded on Tuesday evening. So there is a full 24 hours for us to make additional additions. So I'm glad that Stephen did mention the the Discord over there. Anything that we do add to the card will get put in over there. So be sure and become a member. Absolutely free for that as well. But as as far as what is in the account so far for you, John, what you looking at? Yeah. So the way I approached outright's uh, similar start to Stephen, my first thought is like, should I bet one of the top three mm-hmm. guys? Because I really do think um, they're all coming in great form and they're all you know a clearer tier of their own. Um, I look on on data golf and they give the top three here a 33 percent win equity right, in right. this field, which is just <laughs> just just doesn't happen. Um, and as I thought about it, where I ultimately landed was in any other tournament um, it, it, on the PGA Tour schedule. If I'm betting somebody at single digit odds, I've got the favorite and I've got the guy who's supposed to win. And that is not the case this week. You can bet 
Uh, it, mm-hmm. Rory McIlroy at eight to one, and you don't have the favorite, and you have Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm in great form that you still have to beat. So to me, it was not worth the premium to do what would have to be a single bullet um, to to you know not have the security of knowing that you have uh, definitively the best player in this field. Um, so what I did was essentially look at the second tier and try to get as many bullets as I could, knowing that the uh, the weather is uncertain. We don't know if there's going to be a, a wave advantage. Um, we don't know if it's going to affect everybody equally or not. And there's really no way to know because it's it ultimately yeah, that's a boils great point, John. Like, like I gave my hypothesis on how I think the wave advantage might go, but it, we're guessing. We're guessing. Mm. Right. Like and, and a, a perfect point, like the players championship in 2022, half the field was erased because they got the, the wrong draw. Yep. And it wasn't the, the, the draw that you thought it was going to be because they suspended play and it flipped everything. Uh, on the flip side, we've had inclement weather at the Wells Fargo when Max Homa won. It, it rained cats and dogs over the weekend, but it didn't adversely affect anybody because it was so constant. And you look at that leaderboard and it, it was Homa, it was Keegan, it was Matt Fitzpatrick and Cameron Young, the four favorites going into that week, and they were all there at mm-hmm. the end. So I think it's it's worth noting that it's not always utter randomness when you have inclement weather. It's a matter of whether people are playing in the same conditions or not. Um, so that's, I, I put a lot of stock into the, the elements that we're playing. And ultimately, I wanted a bunch of bullets in that second tier. So I went with Patrick Cantlay, Tony Finau, and Xander Shoffley at the top. When I look at uh, 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 Data Golf's implied odds as well, they've got Patrick Cantlay as the fourth uh, most likely or, or fourth best odds to win, uh, followed by Tony Finau. So I've got two in the top five still. And then Xander Shoffley, they've got. Uh, in their top eight, he was number four in my model, Xander Shoffley, that is, mm-hmm. after the big three. Uh, we know he has the the Augusta history. Um, he's getting albatrosses left and right this year. Love that. I don't know if that will <laughs> continue, but you know he can hit a long iron well and accurately, so that's important. The, uh, the off the tee is, is something that is a little suspect coming in, but this is a generous course off the tee, so as long as you've got distance, which he has, uh, you can be a little erratic at times. It, it could kill you in some areas, but for the most part, I'll take the distance trade-off. Um, Tony Finau and and, and Xander are uh, kind of morphing into the same player. They've both mm-hmm. won three times since the last trip to the Masters. And if I told you this time last year that half of my betting card was Xander Shoffley and Tony Finau, you would just throw that betting card in the garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, so these guys are <laughs> newfound winners. Um, they both have really good success. They've circled the, the, the leaderboard here that have so many top tens between them haven't closed the door, but now they have sort of the monkey off their back, that win equity, that confidence coming in. Um, and if you've read my, my tournament preview article, you know how I feel about Patrick Cantlay. There's a lot of, uh, I think, uh, uh, false narratives about Cantlay in majors. He finished top 15 in his last two major appearances, uh, usually has not been very good in the Southeast United States usually skips the uh, the Florida swing altogether. But this year, he's turned a corner. He's had his best finish at the players this year with the T19. Uh, played the API for the first time of his career and finished top three. So I think this is a different Patrick Cantlay. And he's, a, he's an unflappable type of guy. He's got the demeanor of somebody who can handle the pressure of a major. Uh, and he's number one in part five scoring. He's, he's in the top 10 in driving distance for the first time of his career. So a lot trending up for Cantlay. Yeah, for me, you and I own two of the same guys there. I'm also in Finau. I'm also on Xander. And for all the same reasons you said, listen, I tried to run versions of models that didn't have Tony Finau and Xander inside the top seven in every in, and I couldn't do it. Like, I mean, I was tweaking things left and right, trying to find ways to push those guys out, and I just couldn't do it. Like they just check every single one of the boxes that I found important. This week, and I know people are going to what you're going to hear if about people that like Xander. You're going to say, "Well, the guy can't." Win a major, you know, and all this. Well, guess what? Only two years out of like the last 35 have we not had a first-time major winner over the course of the season, right? Like we get a first-time major winner every damn year. So why can't it be Xander? Why can't it be this year? And why can't it be at Augusta, right? I mean, one of the most talented players out there. And I think he just gets really kind of left behind because we do have the big three. And like, I could argue even with the way Homa and his win rate is going almost like the big four at this point. Like I, I, I think Xander's ex- extremely talented. And again, like the whole hadn't won a major yet. Well, you know, everybody wins for the first time every year. So it's, uh, 
it's going to be one of those deals for me that I think Xander has a ton here. And like you mentioned, with Finau, I would have laughed at myself a year and a half ago saying that I would have put, put Finau on my card. I used to preach to people that he had no win equity, but now he's gotten that behind him. And I truly think that his game is fit really, really well for Augusta. Now, I have the big, I have the most uh, investment in Max Homa this week, though, for sure. Uh, I love his overall game. Now, listen, one knock against him would be that he isn't one of the very longest guys out there. He is averaging 301.7 off of the tee, which I think is still long, plenty long enough. And he is one of those guys that carries the the woods in the bag. And I think that he'll be you know, no problem getting to some of these, th- some of these holes in two, if he has to pull a five wood or a seven wood or whatever he decides to carry this week. Um, he does on the reg as it is anyway. So uh, it just looks so far in 2023 for Max Homa. If you want to talk about the model of consistency, I mean, he's right there whenever we're talking about consistency with a Scheffler and a Homa. The guy's T3, an outright win, T39, second outright, T14, T6, T9, and that's just here in 2023, you know? And so you look at the advanced statistics, he's right up there in just about everything that we're looking for. And um, Max Homa, to me, is a guy that I think is going to end up winning multiple different majors of the course of his career. So have a lot of Matt, can I? Yeah. Can I add to that on Homa? Yeah. Because uh, you make great points. I just want to drive it home even more because over the last 24 rounds on courses that are more than 7,400 yards, his lack of elite distance off the tee hasn't hurt him. In fact, I see a lot of similar similarities to the numbers that I've saw when Colin Morikawa was at his peak in winning majors because in the last 24 rounds on those long courses, he is number one in this field in stroke scale on approach, largely because he's number three in this field in proximity from 200 plus. He is an elite long mm-hmm. iron hitter. And on top of that, he's also been pretty strong in par five scoring as well, despite that lack of length off the tee. He's top 20 in the field on that. So he does more than enough in the other areas of his game to overcome not being one of the bombers off the tee here. So um, the only knock I can make against him is that he hasn't played well at Augusta in the past. But man, he is having an elite season this year leading up to Augusta, and he's just not the same player he is this yeah. year than he was at any point in his career. Agreed. And that's that's what I have been saying, too, when people point out, uh, yeah, but, you know, he hadn't played well here. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I agree. However, th- this is just a different guy. This is just a different dude. And he's coming in, you know, multiple time winner, extremely confident, feeling good about his game. And so... uh Really do like him a ton. Now, bet I made a long time ago, so I would not make it at the current number, but just for just for record keeping here, I do have Sam Burns this week. I made that bet a couple of months ago when basically Sam was not playing very well. I thought that maybe there would be a chance that he would put something together by the time this rolled around. So number was much, much bigger. And then of course he goes off and wins, and now the number is plummeted and it's not worth betting. But I do have Sam Burns, and again, we we often preach win equity on here. Now, listen, you can bet Sam and he is going to drive you absolutely crazy at times and he's going to miss cuts even at times. But when Sam is playing at his 90th percentile, he wins tournaments. And like, that's just the thing. Like we want dudes in outrights that just win. And you're actually okay with miss cuts because you want the volatility of a dude that when he's on, he's going to go out there and he's going to actually contend. And so um, I do like Sam, just the current number has gotten a little wonky. So I don't think I could, I could necessarily recommend it. Now, um, the longest guy I have on the card is Shane Lowry. And Shane Lowry is a guy that, again, this was more of a slave to the numbers pick for me, guys. It was, I ran the model, ran the model again, ran the model from 36 rounds, ran the model for 24 rounds, ran the model at Fantasy National, ran the model at, at, at Rick's site, like doing all the different stuff that I do, blending all the things together. And, and Lowry just consistently placed higher in the model than his odds that, that are showing up across the industry right now. So, um, not in the greatest of form heading into this, but again, a guy that knows his way around and, and kind of has the game that I was looking for, for all of this. So Shane Lowry, the longest guy that ended up making my card. I have a top 20 on Sung JM, a top 30 on Keith Mitchell. I do have a few head to heads that I added really like right before we got going on here. Um, I have Max Homa over Victor Hovland. I'm actually a pretty big fade of Victor Hovland this week it, with as, as much as I waited 
around the green and the importance that I have on around the green. Victor Hovland is inside the bottom 15 in this field. I mean, he's worse than a lot of the olds in this thing, like as far as around the green. And so uh, I have Homa over Hovland. I have Hoagie over Varner. I think Tom Hoagie, especially like, you know, on a course where we believe that this could be a pretty good second shot course here. And of course, Tom Hoagie, as good as anybody out there with that. And this was strictly a numbers play, not necessarily because I think it's going to happen, but there's a book here in, in Vegas. And I know that a lot of people don't have access to this, but it was Scotty Scheffler versus Xander Shoffley. And I got nearly two and a half to one on Xander over Scotty Scheffler. And like, that's just, you know, that's a numbers play, right? I mean, there's just, there's no way that he is, he's that big of an underdog to, to Scotty head to head. So I did play that one. Guys, I want to point this out um, over at DraftKings. Like they always do this winner without market, right? And it's typically winner without Rory, Scotty, and Rom. This week, it is only winner without Rory and Scotty. And you can still bet John Rom in the winner without market. And so I think it's only good to play that market for one guy if you were really high on John Rom this week. But you couldn't bet John Rom in the winner without, and you're only losing like two points, right? It's like it's like he's still seven to one as opposed to the nine to one when you include two of the other very best golfers in all of the world. Now I wouldn't play that market, I think, with any of the other golfers in the field because they would still have to beat John Rahm along the way to get that done. But now if you bet John Rahm in, in that field, uh, I just thought that that was fairly interesting this week. They didn't include him in the whole winner without thing. And, and you're still getting 7-1 to one on John Rahm, who, again, eight, it seems like eight ages ago where we were literally saying, is this guy ever going to lose again? He's broken golf, you know, and all this. And we're still getting seven to one on him, you know, without Rory and Scotty. So I did at least want to point that out to people that there are these alternate markets out there that if you want to kind of bet this thing, I don't know, John, if you think that that's not worth it or not, but I just thought it was at least fairly interesting and something I wanted to point out. Yeah, no, I'm actually glad you brought up the winner without market because I think that's such an interesting one that they don't offer every week, but they do for the, for the majors. Um, I am a unique case where I'm betting golf every single week and I yeah. try to stick to a very proper structure of it. But this is a week where all of my friends, dad, uncle, right. you name it, coworkers are saying, who should I bet? And I think a, an, an interesting strategy is take one of the favorites, right? Eight to one odds. You're betting, you know, minus 110 odds on most mm. sports that you're sweating. So right. take the eight to one odds and then juice it up with like a winner without uh, top three market. There's other books that offer mm. the, the all three and take one of these guys in the mid tier sacrifice, like five points on, yeah. on like, uh, I don't know, Colin Morikawa bet him at 20 to one instead of 25 to one. And you have a chance to hit both bets right. or you can, or your winner might not win, but, but John Rom does, uh, if you bet like Scotty Scheffler and then you still have a chance to win your other bet. And it's, it's a good entertainment bet. Yeah. Um, because even if somebody runs away with it, like a, like a Scheffler last year, it was kind of over by the back nine you have this secondary sweat and that's when it comes to golf betting and masters, I always just want something to sink my teeth into on Sunday. So uh, that's why I diversify the card a little bit. I, didn't, I don't really like doing a single bullet, but mm. that winner without market, there's a lot of ways to exploit value in it for sure. Do you ever dabble in there in that, Steven? I know you're a dabbler. You've dabbled in, in, in most <laughs> things. Are you, are you a dabbler? Have you dabbled in this market before? Yeah, I'm not I'm not shy to uh, to spray yeah. and pray when it comes to the mm -hmm. sports betting. I haven't dabbled in that one, but it, it caught my eye. I would just tell people to keep an eye on it because at one point mm -hmm. this week, uh, Patrick Cantlay was 16 to one in the outright market and 16 to one in the winner without market, which makes <laughs> no sense. Yes, <laughs> yes. So yes. Just keep an eye on it, because if, if guys move a little bit, you might actually get close to or the same odds mm -hmm. in the winner without, which would obviously be a mistake. So. Um, keep an eye on that. The, you know, me, when it comes to the majors at this point, Matt, I, I like this, this sprinkle in a little nationality prop here and there. Yep. And I know we talked about Jason day a little bit earlier in the form he's had. I, I'm a little skeptical here. You guys mentioned the possible rumors about him not being totally healthy. I know the concerns about cam Smith and his form, but again, the, the majors pedigree that he's had, it doesn't make sense to me that he's the second choice behind Jason day in the top Aussie market. I still think cam Smith should be the favorite in that market. And he only also has to beat Minwoo Lee and Adam Scott. So you're getting two to one right now on cam Smith to be the top Aussie in this tournament. And a guy who has, like I said, three straight top tens in this field. And there are some, you know, bombers who probably aren't going to win the masters, but have a really good shot just based on their length off the tee to finish highly here. Um, Cam champ is a weird one, right? Like he's 300 to one to win this tournament. Mm -hmm. He's not going to win the masters, 
but oddly has three top 30s over the past three years at Augusta, including a top 20 and a top 10 last year. He's played awful golf, but he's also played awful golf going into a couple of those other masters. It's just his length off the tee. It gives him an advantage over so many of these other guys. So you're getting really juicy numbers um, on like a top 20, a top 30, even plus money on a top 40 on some of the books for Cam Champ. Um, the, the, the real long shot I like and the guy I would probably bet in the top debutante market, you know, the guys who have never played the Masters before is Kurt Kitayama. Uh, he has gone toe to toe with some of the biggest names in golf over the past year come up short a couple of times, but finally broke through at one of the elevated events this year, a a ton of distance off the tee. He should be in that upper echelon in consideration. John, I don't know if he was among the the 20 guys you think can win the masters, but I at least think based on his outright odds that the numbers you're getting uh, in proximity here with top twenties and top thirties, and probably getting some good head to heads. That's a guy I want to pick on. And again, embracing the variance of the live guys. If Mito Pereira could come one hole from winning the PGA championship at Southern Hills, a course that is a comp for Augusta national has very wide fairways with not much rough, really hard to miss a fairway off the tee. He's got distance off the tee. If he can contend in that particular PGA championship where there was also weather concerns in the third round, then I'm at least willing to take a couple shots on him in these derivative markets for Mito Pereira here, just embracing the unknown and knowing that he's also an elite driver of the ball off the tee. Yeah, John, if we look at the one other market is top amateur. And listen, I, I admit I had to do a bunch of digging into all this because I follow Corn Ferry. I don't really follow collegiate golf all that much, but you start looking at what Gordon Sargent has done and then you just go, oh, I see why this kid gets a special exemption to come play the map. By the way, that's what happened. Like the guy has been so good in the amateur ranks that he gets a special exemption to come play the masters. And you go back and you look at results and it's like starting in mid 22. And you guys are thinking that I'm listing this off as hyperbole. This is not starting mid 22. These are all finishes in tournaments, fourth, fifth, first, second, fourth, first, fourth, 17th, seventh, second, third, sixth, first, second, seventh, fourth. Like this guy, like just, just, it's like the most ridiculous run of golf you'll you'll ever see and apparently from what i read i mean because i haven't again seen him play he's going to be as long as some of the longest hitters out there as well for this week so i don't think he's going to contend at all but like i mean top amateur market he's only up against six other dudes um that might be a a way to kind of get some additional an additional sweat in this tournament that could be pretty fun to watch yeah, uh, he is a special talent. He uh, he's uh, reported cruises at 190 mile an hour uh, ball speed, which is well, well above the tour average. He was out driving Justin Thomas and his group in the practice rounds. That kid has some pop. Uh, that's all I know about him, though. I don't know yeah. how polished his game is. I don't know th- what type of courses he's playing. Um, you can get him at plus odds. Uh, I thought about it. It's really between him and Sam Bennett in the um, in the amateur um group and Sam Bennett's like five or six years older than him. So (laughs) to do with that, what you will, um, I really thought about it. I thought I was going to bet that market. I did bet uh, top amateur last year. I struggle to bet somebody at even odds as an amateur. Um, but I do have a conviction bet. Uh, I'm not going to say the L word, the L O C K word, but I do not see how this bet does not hit. It is top senior Phil Mickelson plus money plus one twenty. He has to beat Fred Couples and Bernard Lunger, who he can outdrive by 75 <laughs> yards on a, on a bad day. Uh, and nobody else can even see in front of them in that group. They're all like on their last leg about to retire. Uh, the course is going to play longer than it ever has right. before. These guys can't even like tumble it down the fairway anymore. I don't care that Phil Mickelson doesn't look good on lift. He's not finishing dead last. He's just finishing mm. in like the bottom 15% of the field. You're telling right. me Bernard Lunger... He's not going to finish in the bottom 10 of, of every live event too. Um, I mean, he's one, obviously some of the par fours might be three shot holes for Bernard longer. <laughs> I mean, I know Phil is not in the best form right, right. now guys, but come on. The, the short game is not gone. 
the the distance is not gone. He might hit some wayward approaches. Even if he doesn't make the cut, he's probably not going to miss the cut by as badly as these other guys. So I love that. that that's, that's my conviction prop of the week. One other deal that I think is less important because we are going to have so many external factors with the weather and stuff this week. Since 2005, the eventual winner of the tournament has been no lower than T11 after round one. So basically round one success has led to success in this tournament. Now, again, we're going to have a lot of external factors now playing into this with the weather, with the rain, with the cold and all that or so like that. But just something to think about after round one, if you're looking at that guy way down the board thinking he's going to make a run, he might, but it hasn't happened since 2005. So that is not a, that is not something that I might be looking to do this week. It seems like you really need to go out and at least put yourself not too far behind after round one. If you do want to be in contention here, at this tournament. Guys, everything we do, absolutely free here. So please go in over to the lines and take in all of the written content that John has put up over there. And if you're watching us on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button down below. It is not just us here talking golf. We have everything for every sport all season long. And again, absolutely free there. And if this is over on your listening device, if you're listening to us in the podcast form, go ahead, hit pause real quick, go down five-star review. We do appreciate that as well. If you want to follow Steven on the Twitter machine, at StevenAnders1. If you want to follow John at PGA Tout, you want to follow me at MattBrownM2. And of course, you can get our final, final, final betting cards over in the Discord. Lines.com, upper right-hand corner. You see the little Discord icon, and it's absolutely free to join and talk to us in there as well. Good luck on all your bets here at the Masters.